0: Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Maris testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90 minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kci.org slash privacy piracy. Mari, what's our show about this
1: morning? Well, today our show is about really protecting companies, small companies and mid sized companies. With regard to data privacy and security, that is just such a huge issue. And we're welcoming back Dave Watts, who is an expert in this area. Let me tell you a little bit about him if you haven't heard him before. He's going to spend a lot of time on protection measures. So make sure that you listen carefully today. (laughs) Dave Watts is President and Chief Information Officer of NetFusion. Dave and his team design, implement, and manage. Stable, scalable, and secure IT networks for professional service firms and small to medium-sized businesses throughout California. He is recognized and the company is recognized by the Los Angeles Business Journal as a finalist for CIO of the Year for four consecutive years. And Dave uses a proprietary approach to network architecture. And this is to d- design to bolster an organization's productivity and their network, their network accessibility while still increasing data privacy and security. So we're thrilled to have him back because we want to know all about those protection measures. So thank you for joining us again, Dave. Oh, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about why, how and why you started NetFusion.
2: Uh, you know, I, I worked for a Fortune 100 um, company when I first got started, and um, when I left... Um, Uh, That company is a large financial planning uh, services company, and when I left that company, I wanted to bring to small businesses the things that large companies do well. I mean, we all know large companies can be bureaucratic or do some things not well, but they do a lot of things very well, and the things that I uh, wanted to bring were standardization, uh, everything being process-driven, and a really strong focus on, um, on security and security architecture.
1: Yeah, and a lot of small to mid-sized businesses don't have these huge IT departments to help them. So this is really helpful that you have something that people can get some help outside of the company. What type of businesses really should be concerned with data privacy and why? A lot of little companies think that they really don't have to worry about it.
2: Um, I would disagree strongly with that. All businesses should really be concerned with data privacy. Um, if you don't adequately protect your client's uh, private information, you're going to incur costs to deal with the breach, including notification costs, potential legal liability. But the biggest cost really is your loss of your reputation with either your existing or prospective customers.
1: Yes. And these small businesses are, are highly targeted for cybercrime. And you know, that we, we've heard of that. We've heard of even, you know, small law firms that get hit with this. So this is, a, that could be a significant breach of sensitive data and proprietary information. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about why they are such targets.
2: Well, small to medium-sized businesses, and that would include professional service firms, CPA firms, law firms, other firms have a lot of information about their customers that should, you know, is not public information. Um, and because they're a small or medium-sized business, they're sometimes ignorant of the severity of the threats to their business. It's, I mean, it can literally put you out of business, uh, a large breach. Um, and also, even if you don't go out of business, there's a lot of, you know, the magnitude of the repercussions are sometimes not known to small and medium-sized companies, um, they're not always publicized really well. So you hear about a target breach, but a smaller firm's not going to publicize when they're breached. Um, and therefore, um, there's a false sense of security for small and medium sized businesses when actually a, a more than half of breaches per semantic um, are targeted at small to medium sized businesses. So I guess a, a few other things. They don't usually have a dedicated IT security specialist or chief information officer. And they may be outsourcing their security to someone that doesn't specialize in that. They may not be qualified uh, to actually design and support them from a security perspective ongoingly. So yeah. those are some, some of the ideas that would come, I mean, some of the reasons I would think that they'd be targets.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I know they all have to, whenever you have a security breach, you really now, according to, you know, current law, you have to report that. To the Attorney General's office. So even if it doesn't make, you know, the newspapers, the front page like Target or Nordstrom or whatever, they're still be they're made public and you still have a duty to notify. So it's still the same problem. So let's talk about how these cyber criminals infiltrate or attack businesses. And, you know, who are these people? Are they Russians sitting at a, you know, a kitchen table in somewhere in Russia or or bosnia or pakistan
2: (laughs) well they they i don't know if they're sitting at a kitchen table (laughs) or a nice desk i guess it depends on how big the kitchen is but um but i would say they are uh you're you're definitely dealing with it's no longer like one usually one person these are professional criminal rings that go out and um what they do is they're actually um getting inroads into your systems and they're putting, system, they're putting malware there that can then be sold to other um, individuals or companies, criminals, because um, they can then use that to exploit your system and get what they want. So it's actually become big business. You can actually put malware on a computer that shows up at a dashboard that they have, and then they can actually go out and sell. They can say, I've got X number of computers at these types of firms. And um, if you want to buy access to these, then you can do these X, Y, and Z exports to them you know, to get credit card information, um, employer tax ID information, um, anything else that they might be looking for specifically. So it's, it's very scary. It's big business. There's a low cost to entry and really, really high gains for what they get. So it, does, it has invited a lot of new players into it because there is such a low cost to entry.
1: Yeah. What about let's talk a little bit about social engineering cuz people get caught on that. They are, you know, they're fished or they are just, you know, they they really give information without realizing that they're doing it most of the time, right?
2: Yes. Social engineering, you can do a f- social engineering by the way just means you're you're uh, tricking the person into doing something instead of tricking the computer into doing something. So, an example of social engineering would be It could be as simple as uh, just common mistakes people make. They post on Facebook, I'm going out of town, or I'm going to be out of town for the next few weeks, whatever. You know, just like that would open up your home um, to uh, a risk. Well, people do that at work with things like someone calls in and says, oh, you know, uh, can I speak to the bookkeeper? Or, you know, I I need to pay an invoice. I don't remember the bookkeeper's name. Can you give me their name and email address, please, so I can um, correspond with them? The receptionist gives the information out. On a separate phone call, they might come in, call in, ask, I need to invite your CEO to a seminar. Can you give me his or her name and email address? You know, something like that. Putting those pieces together, they then have enough information to do uh, a scam or a fraud where they're going to then send something to the bookkeeper, supposedly like spoofing an email address from the CEO. Hey, we need to get this money wire transferred. It's urgent. It's regarding the X, Y, and Z you know, saying that it might be something they read about in the in the news, and um, it's really urgent. It's very sensitive. Please don't email me back. Please just go ahead and do this. You'd be amazed. The FBI says that's really, really common, and how many businesses go for that and lose tons of money. I mean, wiring like 100, 150,000 or more.
1: Yeah, and they're not they're not really training the people and and testing them to make sure that they are more cautious about you know, uh, dealing with these cyber criminals. What, what about mal-advertising? Tell us about so, that.
2: So mal and, and malvertising is when you go to a legitimate website, but it's going to have advertisements on the website um, that look like products or things that you might be interested in or legitimate um, ads. But when you click on the ad, it will redirect you to either a fake site, which infects the machine, or the very click on the ad can actually install... Um, now we're silently on your machine. And the problem is there's so many ads that have to be fed to all these websites and they're sold through, you know, advertising agencies and they are not usually vetted well enough because just of the volume of them. Um, And it makes it very difficult. So before you click on something, you want to uh, hover over and see where it's directing you to. And my recommendation is usually I don't click on them. I usually look right down the name of the product I'm interested in and then I go do a search and go to the site directly.
1: Oh, yeah, good idea, because I, th- I think about all of these advertisements on the right side of of Facebook, for example. Are you talking about that, that they're not vetted well on Facebook either, right? I mean, Correct. Facebook doesn't have a duty to do that, do they?
2: Uh, um, well, that that's under discussion. <laughs> 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 have a, I don't know. Yeah, uh, you would uh, think they lawyer, would. You would think they would. I don't know that it's actually, uh, it's not that easy, um, because they're selling, that's like a, it's almost like a separate program running next to Facebook, you know. Right. Um, so you've got, uh, and the sheer volume of them makes it really difficult for someone to, someone or some machine, et cetera, to properly vet them all.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm always scared to click on anything on Facebook like that. But that's a good idea. Hover over it, find out what the product is, and then look for that website directly for that product. Yeah. yeah. What is um What is draper or draper malware?
2: It's dropper malware, and what that is is that's malware that allows for um, – it gets installed on your computer, and rather than doing anything, you know, nefarious or bad instantly, it just gets installed on your computer, and then it allows – that's what I was mentioning earlier – it allows – so uh, some, the cybercriminal, rather than them actually doing the exploit to get the information from you, they instead are selling away into your computer. So they're selling like the keys to your computer to get in, but they're not doing the exploits. They sell that as a vulnerability to another criminal who then uses that specifically for specific exploits. Yeah. So the malware would just like, it might be key logging software that would record your keystrokes and passwords. It might be other um, software that uh, is tracking where you're going, etc. But it gives them a way to get in and either remotely control that machine or gather information from that machine.
1: So Dave, explain to my audience about zero-day exploits.
2: Okay, so zero-day exploits are um, when you have um, uh, malware or virus, we call it malware usually because it's, uh, it's not like the old school viruses. Um, those are installed on installed in your computer. Your anti-malware or antivirus software um, usually protects against a known exploit because the known exploit um, will have a signature, it'll have a, a, a trait or a characteristic that can be tracked um, and detected when it's trying to affect. Inf- excuse me, infect your machine. A zero-day exploit is something that's so new, there's no known signature or way to detect it, and therefore it passes through your antivirus or anti-malware software pretty easily.
1: Mm. How'd you get to be such a techie? You
2: know, I've been a techie nerd my whole life, but it works out. It helps you in some uh, situations and it doesn't help you in others.
1: <laughs> no, but really, since you're a little kid or what?
2: Um, well, since I was a kid, I literally would take apart things, um, much to my parents' chagrin, whether it be the old school <laughs> remote controls or old school tape recorders or whatever I could get my hands on. And sometimes I could put them back together correctly and sometimes I couldn't. <laughs>
1: Great. right. So let's talk a little bit about now we heard about some of these things that we have to be worried about. Right. So let's talk. Let's start talking now. I think this is the really important part. How does a small business really protect itself from cyber criminals? Let's talk a little bit about that.
2: Okay. So uh, something I hear quite commonly is, well, why do I need to worry about this? I've got antivirus and I've got a firewall. Isn't that enough? Um, the answer is no. It's not enough. Um, you need a layered process approach to protect yourself to um, to have a correct security. So um, a layered process means you're going to have multiple layers of security controls or um, guards in place, so that if a cyber criminal gets through one, they have to go through additional layers or additional. Think about having like. You know, at your house, instead of just one door with one lock, you might have a fence or, let's be silly, with a moat or, you know, an alarm system and two locks on the door. So you've, you know, with multiple layers to your approach, you're going to have multiple hurdles the cybercriminal has to cross over, um, and all of those are slowing them down. And you're going for someone, hopefully, that will go for the easier um, break-in rather than the more difficult break-in. So hopefully they'll pass you by. Um, Proper, with regard to a firewall, a basic, cheapy firewall, cheapo firewall, is not going to provide the right perimeter protection on your network at your office. So you want to get something, a firewall or a security appliance that has uh, what's called intrusion detection and prevention, and that's going to actually inspect all of the incoming and outgoing network traffic, to and from the internet, for known signatures, unexpected protocols, which is just a method of transport of certain things, and also looking for other anomalies, so things that look out of the ordinary in your traffic, to blo- uh, and it's going to block those to pr- uh, protect and secure your network.
1: So uh, it, that happens, like that's like an automatic thing, you can put that, that's hardware that you put on, or that software, right. or what it's,
2: is that? It's usually a hardware, it's like a, um, they call them enterprise class firewalls, but it's, it's a firewall that will have that... Uh, you know, the intrusion detection and prevention, it runs particular software on it that then actually gets updated. A a good one will be updated live from a service Uh that talks to it. So, therefore, as new um, anomalies are detected or new ways of detecting things um, are updated, that it updates that firewall real-time so that it's learning all the time from what else is out there in the world.
1: Wow. Let's talk a little bit about the software firewalls that that you talk about maybe having on workstations and servers.
2: Okay. So a software firewall, like if you run Microsoft Windows, you probably have Windows Firewall on your computer if it's a fairly recent computer. Um, I hear people ask me, well, I've got this firewall at the office. Do I really need to run this software firewall? And the answer is yes. Um, Again, you want to add another layer another hurdle for the cyber criminals to go through. The software firewall also, it knows more about what you're doing on your computer. So it's going to know which applications you're running and which, how those applications talk to the outside world. They actually, different applications reach out to the outside world in different ways and what kind of information they request. So it's going to know more. It's going to be more specific to your computer. And again, like I said, it adds another hurdle. For the cyber criminal to jump over and uh one thing that's really important most of not all but a lot of our computers now are portable everybody has laptops so when you leave the you know the additional safety of your network um uh, your office at the sorry your network at the office that has that hardware firewall when you go to starbucks or any other place you've got this firewall surrounding your computer that's provided that layer of protection if you don't have that on it's unlikely you'll remember to turn it on every time you leave the office.
1: What about the people that do a lot of work right right on their iPhone, their iPad, their other tablets other than their laptop? What about okay. Yeah, what do we do about that?
2: Well, uh, the, one of the things that I recommend is uh, you need to be very careful about what you install on your phones and your tablets. Um, I would be very careful about install um, um, Uh, reviewing those rights. When you install an app on an Android or an iPhone, it's usually going to ask you, this program wants to have access to all these different things. Are you okay with that? Read through that list. Most people just say okay. Read Mm -hmm. through that list. You want to make sure that it doesn't have too much access. Uh, Recently, um, uh, Pokemon Go, when -hmm. it first came out, um, actually was – getting way too much access to the information on your phone, and then they actually recognized it was a security flaw, and then they have recently revised that. So if you re-download the game onto your phone or um, iPad, etc., it now doesn't take as many rights. So, so it doesn't
1: just send an update to you? You have to you have to know to... It
2: depends on, depends on the one that they had. The, the most recent update required you to go up and update it. It mm-hmm. wasn't since your... Phone automatically, they mm-hmm. may have changed that since then, though. Yeah. Um, another thing to do too is I would be um, very conscious of uh, that um, when you're accessing things. I would not, if you could avoid it, I would not use your phone on Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi, to access information, um, especially important information like banking and other sites like that, right. um, it's better to use the carrier-provided access, even though there's a data charge, right. because that is more secure and it's going straight to your carrier and there's no and doesn't provide the opportunity for you to be on the same network as other users that can see your device and try to hack away
1: at it. Yeah. You know, I, I always wonder if it's really safe, like when I get my iOS says you need to update you know, your iPhone. I mean, do I ever have to really worry about that? I was thinking about that the other day as I was downloading the new updates. Is that, is that always safe, or is that something it's, I should ever worry about?
2: My recommendation is anything that's ever emailed to you, you should uh, be very suspicious of. And what I would... If it's emailed to you, you need to update something. I would say, interesting, it says... Apple says I should update my iOS. I would not click on anything in the email. I would instead... Um, close that email separately. Go straight to Apple and then ch- check for updates, or go straight to your you know your settings on your phone and say yeah. check for updates and have it initiate the connection and the request versus you responding to um, someone asking someone sorry a, an email or a request that's sent to you.
1: Yeah, it shows up on that that icon from Apple. Right. And that's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz I just wonder does can somebody put that on my Apple icon? No, I do it right from the icon cuz I usually don't want to update it when they want me to update it when it send me something. It usually just appears on my phone. It doesn't come as a email. It just kind of like appears on my phone. So
2: it's not a bad idea, by the way, just from a functionality standpoint to not be the first person that goes out and updates it every time you might want to wait a few days and let them work out any bugs.
1: Oh, good idea. You're so smart. I love it. I love it. So um, let's talk about anti-malware with zero-day detection abilities. Tell me okay. about that. Yeah.
2: Sure. So we talked a little bit earlier about what a zero-day you know, uh, vulnerability or exploit is. So some anti-malware programs, a lot of them go, uh, they, when they're ins- inspecting something, anything going to and from your computer, they just compare all the traffic to known what are called known signatures, which are patterns of good or bad traffic. And they say, oh, this looks good. You can go on through. Oh, this is bad. I'm going to stop you and not let you through, um, which is good. But it doesn't address zero-day ones, because remember, on the zero-day ones, we don't know. Right. We don't have a known signature to compare to. So what this does is certain, um, um, certain anti-malware programs have some modern heuristics, which is basically like, it's just, uh, it's like formulas to look for patterns. Mm-hmm. And what they are doing is they're saying, I don't have a yes or a no, but this looks suspicious based on this pattern. I'm going to block you, so that's good. Yeah. Or it may say i don't have enough information to say whether you're good or bad so instead what i'm going to do is i'm going to let you through but i'm going to monitor you and track you so that i can undo anything you do if i later or subsequently find out you're you're bad
1: huh hmm interesting so if they block you you can't get there right so Correct. yeah yeah
2: or or it can't get into you
1: right right um, let's talk about email since everybody uses email. And uh, w- what what is some email protection?
0: Sure.
2: So, um, if you are a business um, and you uh, and you're you know obviously uh, uh, you're constantly in email, one of the things that I like to see is that you add. Um, an additional email protection service. And so what that does is Hmm. imagine it, think of it as an inspection point for all incoming and outgoing email prior to it going to your email server. This is even if you use something like Office 365 or hosted email, okay? So, uh, but even more important, if you have an on-site, you know, email server or exchange server. So what this does is it adds this inspection point that's out um, out on the internet, and so all the mail goes through there, stops, I mean, this is milliseconds, gets looked at, inspected, um, it looks for threats, and so it gets to do that while it's not on the server. You don't want the server itself uh, um, for, all the app, for all the inspection to be happening on the actual email server, because
1: mm-hmm. when you do that,
2: if it's, if it's really clever, you're already on the email server, and it might be able to do, take advantage of some sort of vulnerability. So instead, we'd rather it stop before it gets to the email server, strip out everything bad, and then it's allowed to pass through.
1: So what if you're using Office 365? Because that's supposed to be pretty secure, right?
2: Office 365 is very secure. Um, It is... This is, hopefully someone from Microsoft won't call me. Um, uh, (laughs) It is not perfect. No system is perfect, by the way. Right, right. Um, And what's nice about having an additional email protection system, they're usually combined with anti-spam services, and it would give you more granular control of what you do and don't want to allow through, that you might not have that kind of granular control yourself through Office 365. So So it's a service,
1: or is it a software that you buy? It's a service. Oh, it's a a service. service. Okay, okay. All right.
2: Yes. And it's usually for businesses. It would not usually be for, for
1: companies. Right, right. Tell me about network segmentation to limit access.
2: Okay. So um, network segmentation is a fancy way of saying you fence off things on your network that other things shouldn't talk to. So example would be um, you have an internet-facing web portal for your business that like your clients or your customers might log into or maybe you have vendors log in remotely to do certain things for you on your network, okay? And and if you don't have your network segmented, then once they're through that, you only have one layer of protection. You have one gate to get into the network and that's it. Once they're through that gate, even if they're only supposed to be doing one little thing on your network, they're still on your network.
0: Mm. So a
2: sophisticated hacker could use that access broaden what they can access, and then they can access anything on your network. Now, uh, probably the most famous example that I can think of is, the, you know, the, obviously the famous Target breach in 2013, which they are still trying to settle all the lawsuits about that. Right. It's been hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. That happened because someone stole the username and password for a um, heating and air conditioning vendor that logged into their network that it was supposed to have just limited access, but the problem was their network wasn't segmented, so they were able to get into the network and then exploit that and do and then um, get into the point of sale machines and steal the credit card information.
1: Mm. Amazing, amazing. So,
2: so basically, <sighs> what we want to do is we want to have like a little, uh, you know, that that outside web portal sits outside in a separate little its own little network um, mm-hmm. that's protected also. But then you go into that, and then it can better control. What's coming and going to the actual production network? And it's, think of it it's like adding extra fences between different areas.
1: Yeah, and it segregates it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, perfect. Yeah, segregates.
1: Yeah, perfect. we only have. Would you believe it? That we're going to have to have you back because we have so much more to ask you. But because um, I was going to start talking about encryption, but we only have about a minute. Can you just? Um, Give us like a, a sentence or two about encryption because I, I encrypt everything that um, has anything sensitive for my clients.
2: Yeah, I would, uh, if we only have a minute or two, I would say um, everything should be encrypted at rest and in transit. So, in transit, if you're dealing with a banking site or doing anything where you're putting in information you don't want someone else to have, make sure the web browser says HTTPS as in secure. Okay, it has that S at the end, and you want to make sure that's happening. If you're accessing your networks remotely, you want to do it through either an SSL, which is an HTTPS connection, or through a VPN, preferably, okay, a virtual private network. And then the other thing is on, try to encrypt all potential data loss points, especially if they're portable. Your phone should be fully encrypted. Your tablet should be encrypted. Your laptop should be fully encrypted.
1: Oh my goodness. So much more. We got to have you back again really soon. So just give your website and then it's going to be time to go.
2: Okay. Um, you can, look, um, you can act, uh, find information about myself or my company at uh, netfusion.com. That's www.net, F is in Frank, U, S is in Sam, I-O-N.com, netfusion.com.
1: And at privacypiracy.org, we are linking to that website. So if you forget, just go to privacypiracy.org. Thanks so much, and we will have you back again. Dave Watts, you're brilliant, and we are so glad that you are a techie that drove your parents crazy. So (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, Mark. Okay,
1: bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. And then I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here. Thanks. Stay private.
2: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.